This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Bridgerton post-show recap. Today, we are talking about Bridgerton Season 2, Episode 2, Off to the Races. I'm Krista McInnes, joined as always by the rest of the Dark Walk crew. Uh, first off, Geneva Guadalupe is here. Geneva, how are you? I'm doing great, Kristen. I'm looking forward to talking about this episode with you once again. Um, you know, I think that this one is probably... Um, we were kind of talking about this before. Like, I think this is one that's probably one of my favorite episodes of the season in comparison to all just some great content, great, great people, um, great moments. Yeah, I completely agree. I think this is the only episode of the whole season where at the end I was like, oh, I want to watch the next one. So that that speaks to it. Uh, but we're not alone. Um, Sarah Carradine is also here. Sarah, how are you? Galop, 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 galop. Yay! Bang! Nay! Ugh. That's the that's, that's the uh, that's part of the uh, episode. Poor old horses going to the knacker's yard. They don't have any bone marrow, you know, which is why you have to shoot them. Uh, <gasps> hi, everybody. <laughs> yeah, hopefully speaking. no one breaks an ankle today and has to be kicked no. off the podcast forever. No, 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 no. I'm talking to you from Gadigal land today, and I acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded. Speaking about sovereignty, oh, the queen. I do love her. Let me show you where I keep my elephant. And on that note, people stop riding elephants. Um, But we do have the final member of the Dark Walk crew. Gave her some time to recover because what you can't see on this audio podcast is she fully dropped her whole mic and stand right as we hit record. Sasha Joseph is here. Sasha, how are you? I'm here. Somehow I'm here. I think call me Nectar because, you know, I lose everything, apparently, and somehow I still make it through. And, you know, my hair still looks good because Nectar, did you see the braids that Nectar had? I loved it. So, you know, here I am. I've made it. (laughs) Okay, Nectar. Um (laughs) (laughs) Then I'll be high flyer. Yeah, you're the winner. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't have a horse name, so. Well, there's only two we got, I think. Oh, you could be, one of you could be a Trojan horse. Ooh. Ooh, that will, we'll just leave that up to the listeners to decide yes. by the end of the podcast who the Trojan uh, podcaster leave was. Leave that in our five-star review. Who is the uh, Trojan horse? Yes, exactly. Those what five-star reviews. Um. Okay, so this episode, I feel like. Um, overall thoughts, I like that we got quite a bit about our main storyline as well as some interesting intrigue with the Featheringtons. Um, definitely pluses for me. Uh, I My only minus really is why are these episodes so long? <laughs> Where you have to tell them what you texted me yesterday. So, oh our- my god. So I- <laughs> So I'm watching yesterday into the evening and I'm texting Sasha about how annoyed I am with the show and how it's so boring. And I'm like, yeah, I'm on episode four and it's so boring and I'm not enjoying this. And then a co- like probably 20 minutes later, I text Sasha and I'm like, I was only on episode three. Now I'm on episode <laughs> <laughs> And all I could do was laugh because I feel that. That was me all weekend. I Again, this was a great episode. And I think I'm falling back in love with the series uh, with the rewatch. So thank you, PSR. But um, it like kind of messed up my weekend. Because I was like, I spent all this time watching this. And my vibes are off. Like, I was, no, I just, I couldn't do it. So, 
you know, I've, I this race really, really brought us somewhere because it gave us good back and forth, which is what we've been asking this whole time. We love the banter. We love the banter. And some comedy. Uh, some comedy. Some actual comedy. Some physical comedy. Some snappy lines. Some looks. Um, I found this episode on the revisit. I thought, oh, this is actually really good. And it yeah. sets up a whole lot of stuff that's going to carry carry us through the season too. So I think it's quite skillfully uh, woven together as well. Yes, absolutely. So um, the way I have this broken up is there's just a little bit of Eloise that's like kind of separate from everything. It's I guess it's related to Penelope, but I, I felt like it was different enough to separate out. Then I have the Featheringtons and then the main the main situation. So for the Eloise of it all, um, basically, Eloise has realized that um, several issues of Lady Whistledown have had a wonky K. And so this is how she will prove which printing press is doing the Lady Whistledown. Um, I thought that, you know what, I thought this was actually like a, a fun a fun bit of intrigue. I feel like it was the first actual detective work Eloise has done in two seasons of the show. Geneva, what did you think <laughs> of of this for Eloise? Yeah, I I loved it. I honestly think that, you know, it's 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 funny considering we know who Lady Whistledown is and how I feel like from time to time Eloise is now having these sorts of conversations with Penelope about um you know just kind of how her opinions have shifted, have kind of changed. Um, but of course, you know, Penelope's still quite quiet about, you know, her her opinions because of who she is and who is she's, you know, playing in the situation. But I think it's it's cool to kind of see that, um, you know, even though I think when we talked about how in the last episode, you know, her focus isn't necessarily on, um, you know, the, the season and, you know, trying to find, you know, her potential husband. But I think that this is kind of like, you know, a storyline we kind of touched on in the first season. But, you know, we really kind of get to see her be like, no, I'm serious about this. I'm going to find out, you know, who this is, who who was saying these things, um, you know, kind of like the person that I, you know, felt like I admired. I feel a little bit differently about, but I'm going to delve in and investigate. So actually seeing her go um, and actually trying to seek out who Lady Whistledown is. Um, through a potential, you know, interviewing people or kind of narrowing that down. I, you know, I think that adds, I feel like a kind of cool um, aspect to kind of who Eloise is, especially considering who we know um, Lady Whistledown is. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that this is a little bit more interesting. Um, Now, when Eloise actually is going into kind of, you know, the bad part of town for this, this is where she... Uh, she meets, you know, a little a little printing press man who is going to instantly call her out for why she wants to know who Lady Whistledown is. Um, Sarah, what do you what do you think about this this little spark that we see? I love this spark. I love that uh, the job that uh, this chap does is being a printer's devil. He is the printer's apprentice. They used to call them devils, which I just love, and I love that for Eloise and her. Uh, air of uh, being a blue stocking, being an intellectual, being above all matters is completely called into question by this rather handsome uh, young man. Uh, we see that Eloise hasn't given the time of day to any of the men at the balls or anything like that, and we see her banter and be intrigued by and be bested by, but sort of quite enjoy being bested by this uh, printer's devil. So I liked that. At last, it's not just her being annoyed in a ball gown. It's her taking action and being called out for her pseudo-intellectualism. Uh, and he gives her a treatise on the rights of women, which is just very funny. Says, oh, why don't you read this? This is more your style. <laughs> now, Julie Chen told me the devil is a loser and a liar. Does that apply to printers' devils as well? No, this, this particular apprentice is a winner and a truth teller, and uh, <laughs> they should they should just mash lips immediately. <gasps> Oh my goodness. Wow. I like how Sarah spent all of season one talking about how great it is that Eloise doesn't care about men. And now uh, she looks twice at one man and Sarah's like, now kiss. Oh, how the turntables. Well, she doesn't care about marriage, but she's allowed to, you know, 
She's allowed to oh my kiss goodness. Goodness. They're not kissing men to not marry them. A man just, of a lower <laughs> rank? Oh, my God. Um, so thrilling. <laughs> Sasha, how did you feel about the Eloise of it all? <laughs> it, no, it's really cute. I think it's – I appreciate, rather, I should say that they're giving Eloise, if this is someone that's going to be around, uh, someone that can go toe-to-toe with her because she is dragging him – at the start, right? And the footman is very into it. He's like, oh, she's finally the funny, smart one. Because we've been dragging her a little to be like, oh, you're whiny, you're baby. But now she's like giving it first. And she's like, no, you don't come for me, Theo. And then he actually is going to show her, you know, this is cliche, but a whole new world almost. So I'm excited to see where this goes. And I hope he stays around and it's not just like this random one season thing. Yeah, completely agree on that. Um, So the other kind of side thing we have is the situation with the Featheringtons. Um, I know that there's like a little bit with Penelope before this, but I don't think it's like ultimately that important. It just shows us Colin came home. But um, Penelope gets home uh, to see Lady Featherington and her sisters like staring at this ugly like gun rack made out of like deer and moose antlers. Antlers, yeah. yeah. Probably- don't shoot things, everybody. Don't 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 ride elephants and don't shoot animals, please. Thank you. Yeah, it takes like a very very limited situation for me to be like, oh, I can understand why an animal was killed here and it's not this uh because not only did he kill a lot of animals it's so ugly mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Eddie Featherington think- thinks it might belong in his in his bedchamber perhaps can you imagine <laughs> like yeah. it, I, well, I guess like if Lord Featherington's bringing anyone back it would be like a, la- a lady of the evening but can you imagine if like you're a sex worker and you get brought back to somebody's room and they have a giant gun rack on the wall. Like that's you turn and you run. Imagine the fetish they're into if that's in their room. Oh my God. It's like, I'm scared for them. There's no way. Yeah. It's very um, scary. I did not care for it. Um, but, uh, pen- this is the Penelope and Eloise overlap, um, with, that uh, Eloise got a pamphlet that had like the same type of quality as Whistle Down with the wonky K. And, and so that's why she has the theory about the printer, uh, which leads Penelope to be like, okay, I've, I've got to fix this situation, which I just thought she was going to switch printers. She yeah. has a good relationship that with that we set up in the previous in the last episode her relationship with the printer and how she feels very emboldened and empowered in the way that she speaks to him and negotiates with him. They're both on a very good wicket. She's getting ten pounds uh, profit per um, per edition of her papers, even if they come out once a week. That is a lot of money. Uh, so easier to go and buy a small K for five bob and take it to him than uh, change printers, I would have thought. Yeah. That's fair as well. You know what's interesting, though, is it's interesting to me that I guess maybe, uh, I guess when when that change is, I guess, would be theoretically made, like, you know, only one person really probably knew about that. I don't know. I just think that's kind of interesting that, like, she would have that sort of response. So, like, if I were Eloise, I'd be like, I've noticed this change, and some you know someone know who we know as Penelope you know is aware of this and Lady Whistledown happened to you know make this particular uh change after this I'm not saying that necessarily happens but I just that's just one thought that came to my mind yeah no that's completely fair and I think that the only like really defense against that is that Penelope could be like oh wow Whistledown must have been at the race or um you know, maybe just assume, oh, well, the paper quality was the same, but that was just never where Whistledown was. I think that this sets up something that, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of it because honestly, all of season one, Penelope being Whistledown was in front of Eloise's eyes and she never figured it out. And it just goes to show that Penelope is Eloise's massive blind spot. Like she, she doesn't, 
like expect as much or respect Penelope enough to think that it could be her basically um and that's just one example of how like if she really was paying attention to her best friend she'd know so I think that's really smart Geneva yeah I just thought it was an interesting note that I feel like you know if something had changed based off of something I said you know it's like who else or you know is it a weird is it a coincidence I mean it could be but I just feel like that's you know maybe a thing that kind of is a a flaw of Eloise kind of like you mentioned that she might have not even noticed this simple change a hundred percent yeah I it's also interesting because normally right Eloise's character or not Eloise sorry Penelope's character would be kind of like second fiddle to an Eloise a Daphne right because unfortunately of her stature and like she's not tall she's pretty short and um you know her weight unfortunately so it's interesting that to you know the surface level that is how they're presenting it but actually Penelope has so much more agency than um Eloise actually does tomorrow if uh she needed to leave or you know go somewhere or support her family she probably could so it's actually also another interesting piece where she's able to negotiate she's able to create so much space for herself in the world versus Eloise who i think is trying so hard to do all of that but is coming up against walls in every way like her mom society men whatever so I also like that relationship or that second layer of that relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Penelope, when she operates in areas of London that she shouldn't be as a respectable young woman, she puts on an accent. She's wearing servants clothes. Eloise is just like bopping around as a Bridgerton everywhere she goes, which is just like 10 times more stupid. Like she's just so naive. And I think it's because nothing has really ever gone wrong for her that she doesn't have to think of a contingency plan. Um, Sarah, what what did you think about Eloise's detective skills here? Well, I think that uh, Eloise, because she hasn't been educated to the level that she would like to be, because she doesn't have the opportunity to travel, she is a lot more naive and uh, she doesn't think as deeply as she thinks she thinks. And this is just because of the privilege, the utter privilege of being a Bridgerton, uh, being attractive, having money, uh, being a family. There's often talk about you're a Bridgerton as if that's something special. I mean, I guess to the family and also to the society. So she's very coddled in a way that she doesn't think she is. Um, And then we had her last season compared to other young ladies her age, like Marina, who had to try and sort out her own life and, and, and make her own way. And now Penelope, who we found out in the very last scene of the last season, is Lady Whistledown, and now we see her in action. She's very clever. She's very astute. She writes really well. She knows how to get information. She is making money and hiding it. She's bettering others by raising the, the wages for the paper boys. And I think this is like a whole dimension, as you say, a whole dimension that Eloise can't even dream of, which is why I'm really glad that um, Eloise has met the devil and perhaps will have some of her self-image bubble punctured somewhat so that she can actually start to think uh, deductively and think rationally and read and have her mind and her ideas expanded. Um, I like the K, but uh, as Geneva said, she's not going to She's not going to pick up on that clue. Uh, And later she says something to Penelope. I wish Lady Whistledown would talk about this. Lady Whistledown does talk about this and she never for a moment says, oh, I only said that to one person. So (laughs) I think it's that blind spot. She she read my mind or something. She read my mind. But it's that blind spot, as you say, with the the friend. They're best friends, but she probably has some internalised oppression towards Penelope because of her position and her looks and her family. Yeah, and you want to trust your best friend and you don't want to assume, I guess, the worst of your best friend. And I think as she's starting to have negative feelings about Lady Whistle. Lady Whistledown, she's not gonna, you know, even come to that conclusion that it couldn't be. Oh, I think it's the reverse. I think she looks up to Lady Whistledown. Yes, she's questioning her now, but she's always looked up to her and she wanted to find her because she could be a mentor to her, a woman who writes and stands up against society. And she admires her so much, she can't even conceive that it's someone like Penelope. 
Yeah, I think I think so too. I think we all would like to assume that Eloise has like the highest respect for Penelope because that's how we feel about our friends in our lives, but we don't have the same like social uh hierarchy that they have, right? So it's just like even if Eloise thinks that she's totally fair, she probably just like unconsciously looks down at Penelope. I think uh, so. Which is really sad. I don't care yeah. about that. Yeah. Well, and um, it's also what Colin does. Like you're just, you know, friend zones are like you're just Penelope. You're just you. I think it's actually the same for Eloise, where it's like you're just Penelope. Because even when like Penelope's trying to put the moves on Colin at the race, uh Eloise comes in and as doesn't even fathom that that's anything. She just like grabs a uh, Penelope and walks away, right? Like that's her property or like that's her maid that's gonna do whatever for her so and there's some certain ownership over your friends and I think that's okay and I think just open your eyes a little bit (laughs) yeah and kind of reference what you said like you know there there comes a point where Colin kind of talks about how he's you know sworn off women and then she's like but what about me he's like well you're Penelope you're my friend you're not a woman you're Penelope and it's like yikes Okay. Yeah. Gosh. Like what everybody, everybody wants to hear that from their crush. Yes. Uh, and so the conclusion to everything with the wonky K is that uh, when Penelope is purchasing this new K, uh, she really does run into uh, the our modiste, Madame uh, Delacroix. Madame Delacroix in the outfit of a maid with the maid's cap on and a cloak, unaccompanied. Oof, so dangerous. And that's, of course, how they end the episode, which is why I wanted to watch more. But uh, the other kind of conflict going on with the Featheringtons is, again, back with the new Lord Featherington, uh, there is a lot of fear that he is going to bring in some young, dumb bride so that he can kick the existing Featheringtons out onto the street, uh, which is only further, uh, you know, made real for them yeah. by seeing of course stupid Cressida Cowper I with love a Cressida. necklace on. Ew. I love Cressida. She's standing there mean? with her She's like the biggest bully. She's a bully. Dark and a five head. Oh, and the loaf on her head. And the ruby necklace. <laughs> and her mother. Oh I love them as a character. I'm allowed to love a character. Uh, Cressida has recovered from being rejected by the prince last time, um, last season, last season, yeah. oh, season, 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 um, in multiple ways, in multiple ways. And she had that wonderful. She, she was given that very human moment where she said to Daphne, "I knew we'd both come out at the same time. I didn't realize that um, you would try and take from me the only thing that I have." Yes, she's an awful bully, and I do, but I do sneakily love her. I don't want to come anywhere near her, but I like her being on my screen, and I love that moment in the the gown that is only to show off that ruby necklace that uh, Lord Featherington has given her. Um, and as her mother says to Lady Featherington, "Oh, did he, did he not tell you that Porsche is brilliant?" She says, "Oh, well, he gives so many gifts to so many people. How, how I could, I must have missed that he gave that particular girl that one. I mean, he gives, he's so generous. He gives everybody a necklace." <laughs> Uh, you heard it here first. Sarah's pro bullying. Just for the uh-huh. record, everybody yeah. know, everybody knows it. It's not cool. You say that one more time, you'll see what happens. Oof. You know what? I think I I think I can get away with it. Um, seeing as how we're on uh, different continents and hemispheres, <laughs> I think I think I can. Not I, think I, I won't find out if I if I fuck around. <laughs> okay, I will um, say that I do not like Cressida, but that also shows me that the actress is doing a good job that I don't like her. So that That's I will true. Um, what do we think about this match of cousin Jack and Cressida? Um, Sasha, how do you feel about them? <laughs> I hate Cressida. She's <laughs> such a lame. No, it's not even that. Um, she's so weird. And I think I had a physical reaction, right? Being like, <gasps> Oh my God, of course it would be Cressida that comes over to their house and then they're going to get screwed. And then I felt an ounce of sympathy for this horrible family. So then I had to be like, oh my God, what's going on? Uh, Which again, I won't spoil what happens later, but 
you I'm sure almost everyone listening knows what happens and it's like maybe it should have been Cressida but whatever <laughs> it's just I I can't I can't help but laugh at all of it because Cressida would have kicked the ass out so fast and again how old is Cressida and how old is Lord Featherington it's just the math ain't math and it's yeah gross. so I think Cressida's gotta be what like 17 maybe Ooh. 18 because it's her second season right and yeah she's she, a dimension Stephanie. Yeah. yeah 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 and so so she would be 17 and then he's probably maybe a little older than, like anthony's supposed to be 29 so he's probably like what like 32 mm-hmm. you think that's how 30? he reads yeah i mean they've been increasing yeah. their ages slightly so yeah i feel like that man old supposed to be <laughs> i to find out how old technically they've made her at least in this version yeah probably like 21 right it's yeah. it's hard mm-hmm. to tell with the actors because the the actors who play uh penelope and um eloise are both 32 so mm-hmm. sometimes it's hard to hard to kind of pick how old uh the characters are we just have to we have to take their word for it and yes and maybe just not do the math (laughs) yes exactly you're you know what you're right you're right Mm -hmm. that's fine um but okay now I feel like we can get into the the real meat and potatoes of the episode but before we do so I feel like this is a great time to take a break for a word from our sponsors oh yeah and we're back. I remembered for once in my life. Um, proud of us. <laughs> very, very proud. Yeah. So, okay. Now we get into the Anthony of it all. So, you know, Anthony is a wealthy Viscount. He has always gotten what he wants. But it's not going so well for him right now. <laughs> It's all bad. First of all, Edwina <laughs> Queen has line of men. Okay, it's like one leaves, the another one comes. It's straight up bust. So I love it. It's what she deserves. And Kate is Miss Gatekeeper mm-hmm. instead. He is mm-hmm. hoping he can escort Miss Edwina to the races this afternoon. But she's like, no, that's not happening. She already has an escort. You know, maybe tomorrow. Oh, yeah. no. Day after? No. This after December, yeah, maybe when she's married, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on her honeymoon, then you can um, take her out. So one thing to cue up with this is, um, at one point with the lineup, um, someone's been in there for like forty minutes. They say, which I do believe that at this time it would have been about you know a polite quarter of an hour, and then you go on your way. <laughs> Otherwise, it is improper. So having people in there for that long is very not true to how it would have been and I also do believe it would have been more like season one where like several men are there at once they get their quarter of an hour in the tea room uh, or morning room and then then they're out but Kate runs a tight ship uh it's honestly kind of like a reflection of Anthony doing the interviews with all of the debutantes but this time it is Edwina gets to have her time I think they're trying to show how similar these two actually are, Kate and Anthony again, but everyone else wants to be like, cue, you know, Sandra Bullock blind the uh, meme because everyone else is so blind that these two are literally made for each other. And instead they're giving, oh yeah, Edwina, Anthony, it's amazing. Also, it's so unfortunate because the book scene is so much better where Anthony does come and he doesn't get time with Edwina because Kate is there with Newton and Mary pushes them to go on a walk together. And then hilarity ensues with Newton being a menace. So again, very unfortunate that we missed that also part of the book but it's okay. Yeah. And I think we also found that like in this particular, I guess, um, this kind of this episode, it seems like there's kind of a huge emphasis with potentially um, putting Edwina with Lumley. And so um, I think that also Kate's just like, that's kind of who I'm focused on. So I'm going to allow Edwina to hang out with him more. I don't care about you other guys that are in this line. Um, So I think that also seems to be a huge emphasis because, you know, as we see at the races, that's kind of a 
you know, he kind of has that sort of presence there too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kate's read to Brett's. She has figured out who everybody is, what they're worth, what their connections are. And this is another lovely rub that she has uh, up against uh, Lady Danbury who says, well, you can know their pedigree, but do you know who spends more time with their mistress, who drinks too much and whatever this might be? They need to uh, join forces, those two, in my opinion. And it's also Anthony doesn't want love, right? And it's they have made it very clear uh, to Kate that Anthony doesn't want love. So she's trying to actually protect her sister. But again, it's not coming off that way. They kind of made her into this like gatekeeper mom figure that's kind of like, I know best. But again, not to be annoying. But in the books, like it really is more of a conversation. Uh, and Edwina pushes like everyone to Kate to be like, no, I need you to make sure that you like her and she likes you first. Yeah, because in the books, Edwina publicly states at a ball that anyone who will marry her must have her sister's approval. And also in the books, kind of everyone except Edwina can see that Kate and Anthony have a ton in common and have a spark there. And people are kind of trying to push behind the scenes for that to happen. Yeah. Um, such as like what you mentioned with Newton, Sasha, uh, Edwina's out walking with another suitor and Kate and Anthony go to walk Newton to find her. And that's how it happened. Like, it's just little things like that, that I think are better than how they've presented it. And we get Anthony and Kate talking to each other, getting to know each other. Because even in the walk, right, to go see Edwina, there are so many good banter moments where you're like, oh, my God, they're so into each other. It's sick. Um, Because they had already danced um, before, the night Mm -hmm. before. or Yeah, I think. So anyway, there's so much, like, drama. Because on Twitter, I know people are like, oh, but I love the anticipation. It's like, no, the anticipation was actually in the books where they truly were going back and forth. He's doing his like rakish smile and she's actually loving it, but has to put on a front. It's so cute. Oh yeah. I, I think that uh, if they were going to go with this way of doing it, they could have had a lot more like tiny stolen moments or yes. like little touches. I feel like they, at this point in time, none of that has happened, but we're supposed to believe that something is growing there. And I, I do think that that would have been a little bit, a little bit better. Um, yeah, I think you're right, Kristen. That's something that is missing is Kate's enjoyment of him. Yeah. We have her disapproval of him, fine. We have her, you may never marry my sister because you don't want love, fine. But she can have that and enjoy him. Uh, you know, we contain multitudes um, yeah. because he, he clearly enjoys her. He can't keep his eyes off her uh, and he's always got that smile around his his mm-hmm. mouth. It just would be nice if she had a couple of moments of he's completely unsuitable, it's never going to happen uh, with Edwina or me or anybody that I've ever met. However, I enjoy, I sort of enjoy the spark. We do get this at the race. I wanted it um, to travel through a little bit more in their yeah, relationship. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that um, the actor who plays Anthony does such a good job of having those little like mm-hmm. classic rom-com moments. Um, whereas I don't I don't think they gave Kate the room to do that. I think that yes. she was probably given the direction that she needed to be disapproving and she followed that direction flawlessly. But it just leaves us wanting a little bit with regards yeah, you to have as much of the the tension. Yes. Maybe. The, yeah. um, uh, the as much of the burn that we needed. Yes. Time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You're absolutely right. The show is relying on us to know because we know romantic comedies that they will be together, and therefore we're supplying a lot of the stuff that, as you say, that burn that they should be supplying for us. Exactly. Um. So you know, Anthony uh, does his own little plot here, uh, which is to bring the whole family to the races to show that he is such a family man and that he is so you know tender and good. Uh, Geneva, what did you think of this um, horse race scene? Um, I thought it was funny. Um, you know, I, I, it, Anthony is doing what he can to not only, you know, spend more time with Athena, but also get Kate a bit distracted as well so he can spend more time with Athena and also show how great of a guy he is and how, oh, he had, you know, 
breakfast with his family. Oh, his family sitting right over there. Um, all these sorts of things um, showing that sort of interest and in that he has these great intentions. But as we kind of know, you know, he brought a friend of his from Oxford to kind of get Kate distracted. Um, even though he, the guy, you know, he claimed, um, Mr. Dorset, he claimed that uh, he had some sort of interest in Kate, but it, it just became this thing where we, you know, we found out that he actually did have a connection to Anthony, although he pretended to not know Anthony and introduced himself as not knowing Anthony. Yeah, a very weird move in uh, society where everybody kind of knows everybody's relationships. Yeah. <laughs> but, the, but I the, guess the, they don't, Kate doesn't know. I think that's the upper, th that's the only upper hand this man has on her. Yeah, the news didn't reach Mumbai that they were uh, that they were classmates. I think this is the worst thing you can do um, for Kate. She says that she's very content to be solitary. She's content to be a governess. She will be content once her sister is happy. She doesn't seek marriage for herself. But don't pretend interest in her. She finds that insulting. If you tell her that she's beautiful, she finds that insulting. She has that guard up and that really humanizes her I think and I really like that aspect to her so that the worst thing that Anthony did to her was have a man pretend interest in her um and that she cannot stand love as much I liked the general scene itself with you know all of all of the stuff that all of the banter all the back and forth and how everyone was like do we tell them to stop what they're doing like this is getting awkward or weird but I, yeah, I didn't like that. I, and for me, especially considering I'm like, you know, I want Kate to find love in any way, whether, you know, regardless of who it is. So, you know, to ha see, you know, how, how happy in a sense she was, even though she was trying to hide it and trying to show that she wasn't necessarily entertaining it, but you could tell that she, it felt nice, you know, for once for a guy to be, you know, really seeming like they're interested. And, you know, he said he was kind of interested, but, you know, still we know that he had some ulterior motives. So I think that's kind of what was a little bit, you know, sad for me to witness. Yeah, it's like Kate has the full upper hand. She has brought Edwina with another date. She has like a guy with her. Everything seems great. And then Anthony walks in and it's like one, two, let me get rid of Edwina's escort. And also this is my friend from school, um, which is, it's a, it feels a little cruel. Um, also, I will say Simone Ashley does a really good job, the actress, um, because she does give you that little glimpse of, oh, you're not for Miss Edwina Sharma, you're for me. Uh, again, I because we have to critically watch it, I feel like I was able to catch that. And I just thought that was so nice because you can tell she's really into it. Her eyes are so expressive. I think she does... Like, she, I feel like, could act just with her eyes so yeah. well. Yes, Tyra. Smize. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, I think even hearing his, like, like as he was starting to have, Mr. Dorsey was starting to have the conversation, he's like, oh, I've, you know, like, I've even, I've even been to India. You know, I've even been to Bombay. So, like, even hearing that, she probably was not expecting that. And, you know, he was saying, like, oh, he's visited. It's a wondrous place. So, he's even to, able to quickly try and establish, like, a connection there. And, I and, like... It, as one, as she has mentioned, she's going back to India after all of this is done, you know, to hear that even like a guy who's expressing potentially expressing interest in her also has been to, you know, where she's from. I think that also was, I think, uh, a moment, but obviously. Um, but it's also it. colonizing because hello, they're colonizing India at this point. That's yeah. why he's going there. He's not just like on some spring break. So it. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. It felt very fetishizing, I will say. Um, and I think that, I mean, that's been my issue with how the Sharmas have been presented anyway, because they're kind of like gathering all the, and everything Indian and just like putting it together. Like, why would someone with the last, their last name, Sharma, speak, you know, like the languages that um, Edwina allegedly says she speaks? It doesn't the math a math in yeah. and then they call their dad Uppa, which is something south indians call their dad and then they use didi which is um and bon so didi is like 
older sister in Hindi. So it's just like they're and Hindi is like West or North India. So none of, they're just kind of like hodgepodging everything together. So I you can make a case as to why that is, but it's giving colonizer and I know that Bridgerton doesn't want that. Oh, and that's not the right what the writers want. So you know, I'd appreciate some more time being spent into developing the Sharmas, but I know well, that's, 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 that's why we say nothing about us without us. So if you're writing um, someone with a disability or autism, if you're writing whatever you're writing, and if you if that is not you in the writer's room, get someone, get yeah. a writer who has that lived experience, and then then you wouldn't make these incredibly thank you for pointing them out Sasha they sound mm-hmm. now like incredibly crass mistakes like crass yeah, and I and think I'm, sorry oh sorry ahead. no please Sasha continue no and it's it also reminds me of sex in the city when Carrie uh, in this sorry what was their new thing called I even watched uh, it. The new thing like was that. called, just I, like don't, that. I don't yeah. care. Oh, uh, yeah, it. it's called And Just Like That. Anyway, and she goes to a Diwali party. First of all, how you live in New York and you've never been to a Diwali party, right, for so long? And then second, they call her outfit a sari. It is not even close to a oh. sari. So it's just those are the moments where um, it's actually writers do this, and they might be Indian writers there, but they're making it more palatable for mm-hmm. The masses. I don't know. You know, you can fill in the blank who masses are, but it really, yeah, it just to me, Kate, I'm surprised that Kate doesn't have more frustration towards her colonizers. Yeah, that is a very good point. It reminded me of I read uh, a a historical romance set in more the late 1800s uh, recently where um, there was some Americans who had made their kind of fortune in building the railway. And a big part of the book is like getting the contract to build railway in India. And the obviously that is like pure colonization and not like a happy the the building of the railway in india is not a happy story but the way that the heroine is written is like oh but our company has to get this deal so that we can help the indian people travel and it's just like so the white savior yeah exactly it's just so like gross that it like it kind of ruins the enjoyment of the book when it's like okay well obviously this like a white woman decided to write this and was like, oh, well, but we can't, we're we're romanticizing England, so we can't show the English as the colonizers that they, like, have always been. And, Uh, sorry, sorry. No, no, And I will say, although officially, because I don't want people to fact check me, that they officially didn't colonize until 1850-something, but they had already started signing treaties and, you know, with the different Maharajas. So it's interesting because... I will say that Kate and their family might have been, you know, upper class and they almost welcomed the British. So maybe that's why. But again, I agree, Kirsten, what you were saying. It's just like it's weird. And I'll still watch it and I'm not going to make a big deal about it. But I felt like I needed to say it. And then I'll let you know. Make a big deal. You can make yeah. a big deal. I mean, I, think I mean, it's I... almost weirder if we said nothing about it. Right. right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like I went on for months after the first or second episode of Lost where the Australian girl on the beach said made two statements, one of which was uh, I was working a $5 an hour job. No, you, you weren't. It's Australia. You absolutely weren't. That's not a thing. Uh, and the other thing she said was that she liked peanut butter and really nobody in Australia likes peanut butter. And it's like, <laughs> no, that's not true. Wait, and that. What? And that actress was Australian, hegemony. so it's this, this, it's this, it's hegemony. Is that what you said? It's exactly right. It's a no, it's I said Vegemite. Sorry. Oh, Vegemite. Yeah, we do eat Vegemite. We yeah, I was like instead of peanut butter, at least that. <laughs> so there's American colonization as well. That not only is mm-hmm. the writing culturally incorrect, but that that actor who was from Australia, a young girl, she felt that she didn't have the power to say. Uh, we don't have five dollar an hour jobs. If you want to, if you don't want to confuse the Americans watching, you can say minimum wage, and that's fine. Um, so, if even those small things can culturally attack one as one watches a a delightful televisual romp, um, then even more so these kind of gross and crass um, making an Indian person a monolith uh, of all things Indian. Uh, she's everything Indian rather than make them a particular person. So, Sasha, don't 
stop speaking out. I love that about you. No, it's fine. I just meant like I didn't. We don't need to keep harping on it on account that, listen, at least we're getting crumbs of representation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do wish, though, I feel like we saw like a couple maybe flashbacks back to India. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you don't have the budget. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, and it's or even <laughs> if like, like, we, like we haven't seen obviously Lady Mary's family yet, but obviously like she is also Indian, so like maybe there could have been some sort of conversation about like her family and you know Kate's father's family being from different areas to at least make sense of those kinds of incongruities. Yeah. But like they didn't even know well enough that they had them to explain them away in an easy way, which is just very telling. Exactly. Um, uh, but here we are. It's but fun. here we are. Um, we also have. Uh, I can't remember when this happens, but this is where it's stuck in my notes. We mentioned before that they, the Sharma girls, get an invitation to the Queen's personal zoo. Yeah, I love this. And <laughs> this is cute palettes, right? It's so silly. Oh man. It's just like, wh like what? And uh, I don't know. It's it's very bizarre. And... I love the zebras because, again, yeah. I'm not saying we should own animals either. Like zoos are stressful. Don't go to them. Um, figure out something else. But saying that, I would be a hypocrite because have I been to Joe Exotic Zoo multiple times? <gasps> what? Have you? Like yeah. the worst zoo of all. I, exactly. <laughs> have I held many ligers, cubs? Yes, I have. Oh because God. Joe Exotic let me. Not Sasha uh, getting canceled. <laughs> I know. No, I've shared this multiple times. I think Rob introduced me one time on a Big Brother podcast as someone that has met Joe Exotic. Oh, and I was like, not this. Anyway, so the point is that I also am very interested in wild animals. I'm very scared of dogs, and I will not touch them. But you love... held a liger, yeah. And I've walked with wolves. It makes no sense. It's all mental. I'm, already, I'm confused. But I just I am obsessed with Queen because she's like, look at my zebra. I want to go see the elephant. <laughs> she's like. I, I have so many zebras that I can't even name them all. Like, can you help me name my zebras? Yeah, and she's like, I have 15 children, I and I, you know, I'm running out. <laughs> like, this is I, just, I can't. I know, but maybe at that point, it was a little better treatment of animals. Maybe that's why it would have been cool, but I don't I don't, I don't think it's gotten worse over time. True, <laughs> at least now know. we have activists. Back then, they yeah. were kind of like, ah, oh, the queen wants it. Okay. He also, King George also had kangaroos. He had kangaroos loose in the top paddock, um, which is a, an expression for being a bit crazy, but he also literally had kangaroos as well. Um, yeah, I was going to say, then, is that a, a metaphor? Yeah. yeah. It's a it, kangaroos he, are nuts, bro. He literally had kangaroos, but he also had some kangaroos loose in the top paddock. So this is videos cute. of kangaroos punching people. <laughs> but I think also another anyway. thing that conversation that does happen here is um, Lady Danbury and the Queen are talking about uh, Lady Whistledown and how um, you know the Queen really wants to figure out who she is. Um, and uh, Lady Danbury mentions, like, you know, you seek to unmask Lady Whistledown with the help of the diamond, um, you know, and I think it's interesting because the queen is like, well, you know, she's someone I knew I could trust because, you know, we know that Edwina was not around um, when, you know, Lady Whistledown was writing, you know, last season. So it's someone that she knows that isn't um, Lady Whistledown. Um, so I just, you know, I think that was kind of a, you know, interesting conversation to kind of uh figure out why like one of the many reasons that Edwina might have been chosen for this you know particular role um so yeah so Lady Danbury and the Queen had that sort of conversation do you like this relationship Geneva, Geneva between these two women I do I think it's I think it's quite funny I don't know yeah. I I think that they're um I think that the the way that they um communicate and the way that they interact with you know, with one another is quite unique. So every time I do see their scenes, you know, they are uh, quite, quite enjoyable just, just because, you know, I think, um, you know, I think Lady Danbury kind of has a sense of, um, you know, what the queen is uh, thinking or what she's potentially trying to do. And, you know, uh, but, you know, the queen always 
uh, seems to, you know, uh, I guess in, include her in the in the things that are going on. So yeah, I I do enjoy them. How about you, Sarah? Yeah, yeah, I really like it, and I like the way these two actors perform it. So Lady Danbury is always very deferential to the Queen as a Queen, but mm -hmm. she does a lot of that woman to woman stuff, and we see the Queen being able to be a woman with another woman with Lady Danbury in their private in their private moments. So you get the idea that they were girls together or that they've known each other all their lives. And we see that that wonderful thing that actors can do where they imbue a relationship with the with the weight of their history. So yeah, yeah, I'm with you, Geneva. I really enjoy it. I'm just still annoyed that the queen is even in the show. Like, <laughs> I, the, I, like I I the actress who plays her is phenomenal. Yeah. However, like I'm, well, I just am like, there's no point to this. Like, she doesn't have to be here. You know, Lady <laughs> Danbury. The diamond, you know, of the season is. Yeah, but that's not, like, it would literally, that's just a compliment that they would call accomplished pretty women. They would just say, oh, she is a diamond of the first water. Not, that is the diamond of the first water. Like, yeah, society would kind of pick one of the debutantes that's the most desirable. But, like, the I know I've said this a million times. The queen just did not have time or energy to care about this shit. And it just grinds my gears. I mean, I think part of it too is just because of to kind of justify the explanation of kind of how the world, like how, how the Shondaland world is within Bridgerton. They felt that they kind of needed to have the queen to kind of show and not necessarily have to, fully explain to people like why this cast is the way they are and you know having people like you know lady danbury or the duke of hastings etc cetera, etc cetera. um and as you know we've seen a lot of that um you know intermingling between people of a variety of different backgrounds so i feel like that's probably the only reason i think that it kind of mm -hmm. to that but i i see what you're saying because you know it's not necessarily needed but i think maybe just for the show they kind of felt like that could have been um, yeah, useful. Yes, so but I, I, yeah. No, Mitch you make a good point. Not just... my Bridgerton. <laughs> not my Bridgerton. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like old man yells at Cloud about this, and I always will be. But I just think that they could have explained it by having like one scene where it shows all different types of people, like last season, talking about Daphne and how everyone loves Daphne and how she is the figure of grace. Blah 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 blah. And it just would have, I think, made it more more sense. But it's. It's fine. They want the queen. They want the hunt for Whistledown. I need to let go and let God with this one. Um, <laughs> so Lady Danbury like were... could have been, yeah, like the like the queen's position, as in not the queen, but just someone that like is on the out, but everyone still loves and loves and scared and respects. So I don't know that they needed the queen necessarily but because it's so absurd that this lady right is literally scheming with eight seven 16 year olds 17 year olds yeah it's embarrassing it's too much oh, i love it i love the queen really like i'm 29 and if i were to try and hatch a scheme with a 17 year old I would put myself in jail. Like, yeah. it's just, I don't want to be around a teenager at all. Yeah, that's just jail. <laughs> like, to just You're to jail. for that. <laughs> um, so, keeping, you know, with the animal theme of the episode, when we get back to Mayfair, uh, Anthony tries to give Edwina a horse. Victor. This is the best. But Edwina, you know, she likes those, you know, uh, pets that you can you can have in your, you know, your lap. Not not as not as large as a horse. So maybe a cat. Yeah, maybe a cat. Maybe a, a pup. You could have bought a stuffed horse. Yeah, or like a, yeah, a little. Well, uh, yeah. Wait, what do you think stuffed animals looked like in 1814? Because I bet they were terrifying. Horrifying. Oh. Yeah, terrifying. Do you think? But I mean, their dresses are so beautiful. So I'm assuming people can stitch well. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I just got out of it. Not me looking up stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to look them up, but it's only showing stuff that's like product number 1814, oh. which is not helpful to my purposes. Oh, it's fine. Yeah, he thought he was doing something great and impressive bringing that horse, but, you know. Yeah. Oh, they're horrible. Okay. Yeah. I got really not, scared. He's not, he not impressed. Um, and he's like, well, I thought you had mentioned something. 
you know, about yeah. Dexter reminding you about a beloved horse. And then Kate's like, that's from a book. Like, a book. <laughs> <laughs> I love, yeah, I love story. Oh, so, you know, it was uh, And then, yeah, insult to injury when he finds out that Lady Danbury is throwing a soiree and he has not been invited. Oof, what a cut. He doesn't seem to care because, you know, he uh, decides to uh, make an appearance anyway. I love that his mom is even like, you don't deserve an invite. You don't want love. Get the hell out of here, weirdo. Yeah, so this soiree is uh, a poetry reading for Edwina, which is like possibly the most cringe social event I can imagine is like, yes, we're inviting a lot of people, but this day is about all of the men reading a poem to this one woman is so wild. It's a talent show. Somebody has a hoop and somebody has a little bit of magic. And well, that's the men did dance. that. Yeah. The men did it. It was not supposed to be that. But of course, these men can't help but be competitive. Can you imagine, like... You thought Tinder was bad, but would you pick Tinder or would you pick men reciting poetry to you? Okay, honestly, I would pick the poetry only because it happens in person so you can actually so tell if you're attracted to someone. See? Yeah. There you go. Not so cringe anymore. It's still cringe. <laughs> it's not <laughs> cringe, but I think it's, you know, I think. The magic trick was very cringe. impressive. I like the magic trick. The snap and the flame and the flower. That was that if was someone tried to do a magic trick to get with me, they would be off my list so fast. Oh, I would, be I would bully it. them. You oh, would I would love it. Not, bu- not bullying. I would bully them. I'd be like Sarah. Oh. I'd be very pro-bullying. <laughs> <laughs> I magic. Don't do poetry. Yeah. Um, okay, so Anthony is like... <laughs> Benedict, can you teach me how to read poetry? I've got this book of Byron's poems. <laughs> and uh, this, uh, Benedict follows the kind of normal convention of the time, which is that most men thought that Byron was not good and had a weird style. Now, of course, you think of Byron as like a classic poet, but uh, at the time, not so much. And He's like, absolutely not, but I will write a speech for you about what it means to truly love a woman. Meredith's half-sister. Feel inspiration to delight in her beauty. Wait, he did? Sarah? Yes, what? he has incest yeah. with his half-sister. Yeah, he yeah. has half-sister. Yeah, Claire. Yeah. I do so well at avoiding news of incest in the world, including historical. And <laughs> very yeah, old it is served yeah, up well, to very, 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 very old news. <laughs> so Benedict says that even uh, in his class at, at Oxford, the other uh, men in the class thought that even his poetry was better than Byron's. His Benedict's poetry was better than what Byron's. What a, like, humble break. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, even my poetry. (laughs) So again, gives Anthony a a little taste of it. What is it to admire a woman? Anthony's very impressed and says, hmm, yeah, write that down for me. (laughs) It's, yeah. And so Anthony shows up without an invitation to late talent show. Late without off the guest list, according to him. I mean, he's, you know, titled enough that he can get away with it as well with his mother being old friends with Lady Danbury. It's yeah, kind of a... For 25 years. 29 years, sorry. I don't yeah. know. And I mean, also, like, what? Lady Danbury's going to look rude and, and not allow him in? Like They want him there. Let's be honest. He is the highest and most... The male diamond of the season. So, please. Like, it's nonsense that they didn't want him there. Only one human didn't want him there. And that's his future wife. Stole his invitation. Do you think Kate just, like, took it and was like... And so they thought it went out? Yeah. Because I feel like Danbury would have invited him. Hmm. You'd think since the other Bridgertons are there. But I don't know if she... You know, that was a... Because, you know... He couldn't RSVP. He didn't get it. He just didn't get it. But, you know, and then Kate's just like, oh, apologies. But, you know, we're we're about to end this thing. And then he's like, no, 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 no. I wrote this original. Um, You guys want to hear it? And then, of course, he starts saying it. And he's like, uh, nah, I'm, I, I didn't write this. <laughs> and then proposes. Is that not a proposal to Edwina? What the hell? 
Yeah, he literally says, you know, I'm a practical man. I do not care about pretty words, but I will never leave my wife wanting for anything. And Edwina, like, swoons at this. Oh, Kate swoons at this. You know, she ran into a damn waiter after what he said. But then she tries to say, oh, but did you hear that, Bone? He can't give you the love that you deserve. But is that, you know, she's she's so fake. Yeah, you know, he's an honest and worthy man, allegedly. Um, Again, this happens in the book, right? Right before Kate and Anthony are about to get married. And that's what Kate says about him. That she's grateful that he was honest with her. That he won't fall in love with his future wife. But he will, you know, be loyal and faithful. And Kate is like, well, I think that's good enough. (laughs) So, again, stop giving Kate's lines to Edwina. And this is where um, we get the the scene that Sarah brought up earlier of Kate and Lady Danbury together, where um, Lady Danbury calls Kate out on this joyful spinster act, and uh, Kate tries to counter it with like, oh, well, you're alone too, and Lady Danbury's like, mm, hell no, I have lived a full life, I was married i have i've had my children i've i've lived a life and you like have done nothing things you are not me you like please and if you continue down this road you certainly will never be yeah you're you could never be basically um and for a 26 year old she really should know better (laughs) yeah like I don't know. I feel like if someone like Lady Danbury told me that she feels like sorry for me or that I will be sorry if I don't do something, I like that. I I'd be done. I'd be like, let me change my life path. I'm I'm gonna listen yeah. to this woman. Mm-hmm. That, but that's what I mean, right? I just feel like they've made Kate into such a like hate. Not I don't know. If hate is the right word, but such a like. I hate everything and I don't love love. And that's just not how she was in the books. In the books, it was that like. She just felt othered. So she's like, great, I'm going to lean into it. I'm put on my walls up instead. Mm. So I don't know. Ugh, I just, I don't appreciate this arc. Yeah, before you don't invite me to your party, I'm going to say I don't want to come to your party. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's sort of the idea with Kate in the book, that she had that passion and that liveliness, but she didn't see that as a possibility for herself, so she made the most of it and put her attentions onto her sister, whereas the Kate that we see here is... I'm going to be this. I mean, wonderful actress and so beautiful. And also, we know again, um, the show it, it makes us complicit because we know she's going to get together with Anthony. Um, I just, I just wish they'd given us some more bending along the way. But I do like this relationship with Lady Danbury, and that has that has possibilities. I think of of what I'm wanting from Kate. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I think Lady, like Lady Danbury, could be the mentor that Kate has needed. Uh, and this is like we see kind of a little bit of that tough love that Lady Danbury can give. Um, but that that's the whole episode. Is there anything that we missed? Anything that should be addressed before we move to season three next time? Oh, some, something that might come up is uh, Benedict goes to Will Montreach, if you remember. Will the boxer from last season, he now has a gentleman's club where everyone will be welcome. It's not going to be class bound. And uh, Benedict goes and is introduced to an artist who says that all the great artists of the of the day, Turner among them, who's a wonderful painter, went to this art school and perhaps Benedict might think about going to the art school. That's the only thing, just that small setup, yeah, I think, might come up later. Yes, very. that is very true. Is there anything else that was missed, anything anyone has to address? Um, can one of you in the, the States look and see if we have any new iTunes we reviews because I can't see them? I looked. Sorry. Oh, so no new reviews. Interesting. Well, if you're listening to this podcast and you like us, you can leave us a five-star review so that we're not disappointed next time because mm-hmm. reviews, those it hurts. Amazing reviews because we, you know, we want, we want, we want feedback that we're you know, giving you what y'all want. So be sure to let us know. If you don't validate us, we might die. So that's just important. Please leave us Oh, my God. <laughs> They're going to take us to the knackers yard. <laughs> um, but uh, we can we can wrap this up then. Um, Geneva, where can people find you? 
people can find me at Peace Love Jen on Twitter, where I tweet all about the reality TV that I'm watching, as well as random things in life. So currently, Big Brother Canada, Survivor, Temptation Island, The Courtship, any other random thing that is on, I am probably watching it. Um, and yeah, you can also find me at Silent Podcasts. And at Silent Podcasts, we are on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. And you'll find me once again here and probably eventually doing some more uh, BB Can content on uh, Rob Has Podcast. Awesome. And Sarah, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me at Sarah Carradine on Twitter. Uh, I'm not as blue there, but I'm perhaps slightly mauve uh, or mauve, as I said. <laughs> mauve suddenly. I don't know who mauve is. Uh, I have a new true crime podcast called Crime Scene on RHAP with Murray Forth. We have our True Crime Tuesday, so you get a new episode every uh, Tuesday. So tune in for that. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Let, let us know what you think. And also we're very open to suggestions of what uh, people would like to hear us uh, cover. And I've just finished my coverage of Our Flag Means Death on post-show recaps with Grace Leader and Brooklyn said. And you are the first three people to hear this. Um, and so it ripples out to our audience that we will be interviewing the great Vico Ortiz as a special episode, and we are beside ourselves that we are going to meet Jim and ask Jim all about everything. Amazing. And Sasha, where can people find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at funsize underscore 04. And I'm over on Silent Podcast, I'm sure, covering something. And I will be on RHAP either. Yeah, I will be coming up this week. I'm trying to figure out when this drops. Um, either this week or, okay, so I've already been on RHAP. Uh, so, yeah, go check that out with the BBK coverage. Hell yeah. And if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me everywhere at Kirsten Said What, including twitch.tv slash Kirsten Said What. I also have a weekly BoJack Horseman rewatch podcast called BoJack Horse Pod, uh, as well as weekly coverage of Riverdale with Frail Mary over on Kowski Cast. That's cow with a K. And last but not least, myself and Maggie Morgan are covering Temptation Island over on uh, robhaswebsite.com slash pot dummies. So please check all of that out. But we are closing chapter two of Bridgerton season two, and we will be back next uh, next time to talk about season two, episode three. We'll see you on the dark wall. Bye. Bye.